April 15th. And as we turn our attention now to the New Testament, we'll be reading from the book of Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 37. Now, some of the things we've already learned about faith, which is what this is all about, is the faith to forgive and the faith to serve. And as we continue reading, we're going to learn about the faith to pray. The ten men believed that Jesus could help them, the lepers, and he did. The Samaritan, though, not only brought joy to Christ's heart, but received salvation from his hand. He said, your faith has saved you. That's what the Lord told him. When God answers your prayers, be sure to tell him thank you. And then we'll read about faith to be ready when he comes. The important thing is not to set dates, but to be ready when he comes. I remember once in Israel, I was talking to the owner of a large Christian store there in the Galilee region, and we were talking about those who set dates, and I asked this gentleman, if you knew for certain the Lord was going to be arriving and coming back within, say, six months, and you knew for certain that the Spirit of the Lord had spoken to you, uh, would that change your life very much? And he answered, why, yes. And I said, well, perhaps you're not living in the will of God right now, and if you knew that the Lord was returning on a certain date, and if that would change your behavior or what you're doing, well, now is the time to start doing that. Be ready when He comes. For true faith leads to faithfulness. Are you living in the center of God's will today? To look around at the increase in sin will discourage you. I mean, if you look at this world and all it's involved in, it can be rather disheartening. Now, to look back, as did Lot's wife, may destroy you. So look up. Instead, look up and eagerly expect the Lord's return today. And with that, let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. April 15th, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 37. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, their leprosy disappeared. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God, I'm healed! He fell face down on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Does only this foreigner return to give glory to God? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, When will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, The kingdom of God isn't ushered in with visible signs. You won't be able to say, Here it is, or It's over there. For the kingdom of God is among you. Later he talked again about this with his disciples. The time is coming when you will long to share in the days of the Son of Man. But you won't be able to, he said. Reports will reach you that the Son of Man has returned, and that he is in this place or that. Don't believe such reports, or go out to look for him. For when the Son of Man returns, you will know it beyond all doubt. It will be as evident as the lightning that flashes across the sky. 
But first the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. When the Son of Man returns, the world will be like the people were in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came to destroy them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building. Until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual, right up to the hour when the Son of Man returns. On that day, a person outside the house must not go into the house to pack. A person in the field must not return to town. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. Whoever clings to this life will lose it, and whoever loses this life will save it. That night two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken away, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Lord, where will this happen? the disciples asked. Jesus replied, Just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Today we're reading Psalm 84. Before we actually read the text, let me give you an overview. The Jews were required to go to Jerusalem three times each year to celebrate Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The author of this psalm was unable to join the pilgrimage, even though his soul yearned to be there. Life has its disappointments. But the three Beatitudes in this psalm tell you how to handle them. There's the blessing of dwelling. Perhaps the priests and Levites took for granted their privilege of dwelling in the courts of the Lord, but the psalmist did not. God's altars were to him what a nest was to a bird, a place of safety and satisfaction. Abiding in the Lord is not a matter of geography, for you can worship Him and love Him wherever you are. When life disappoints you, run and hide under the shadow of His wings. Abide in Him. And we'll read about the blessing of desiring. What is in your heart is what counts. He would rather serve in the temple than be served anywhere else. That's what the psalmist writes. When your desires are godly, the Lord will give you all you need. When life disappoints you, be sure your heart's desires are pleasing to God. And then we'll learn about the blessing of depending. God's pilgrims go from strength to strength and from faith to faith. As you trust the Lord, He gives grace and glory. For He is your Son, S-U-N, provision that is, and shield, which is protection. He gives you all you need on the pilgrimage of life. So, when life disappoints you, depend on the Lord for what you really need. It's been five months here thus far. Five months of laughter, five months of joy, of pain, heartbreak, and suffering. Five months of growth, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And I have yet to scratch the surface. One thing out of this time that keeps resounding through me is how out of control I am and how ridiculously in control he is. 
Our God is in our lives, whether we are praising Him and racing toward Him to win the prize, or have our backs turned, swearing He has left us, which is far from the truth. Truly I tell you, He is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. Matthew 18.13 What He wants is a relationship, a transformational relational relationship, not a transactional, not a give and take. It's not about knocking on the door and when he opens, just thanking him, asking him to take our burdens, healing us and family, asking to make us better sons, asking to make us better fathers, then closing the door and leaving and not waiting for a response. He wants a conversation. Sit and listen for a period of time. What is he saying in your life? I am still listening. And I'm still striving for a better relationship with Him. I'm still falling short, but praise be to God for my shortcomings, because I am weak. And in His power is made perfect in my weakness. Do not be ashamed of our weaknesses, brothers. God strengthens us in them. Talk to Him and listen. Remember also, He can speak through our brothers and sisters. Lean on them. Build relational relationships, fellowship with them, spread the word, and be a light for our community. Our community is important. John Wesley said, If I had 300 men who feared nothing but sin and were determined to know nothing among men but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, I would set the world on fire. I am a sinner saved. I am a stumbling saint. I am redeemed. I am Anthony Cook in third phase. Here in this one verse, God answers that question. Why do you exist? Why do I exist? For Jesus. You exist for him. He created us so that we can share in that relationship. That is why you and I are breathing this morning. Because God created you for a purpose. And that purpose is to be with Him. To know Him. And everything in your life and my life, He orchestrated so that you would come to know Him. The parents that you were born from, the living situation that you grew up in, the absence of your parents or the presence of them in your childhood. All those things God allowed and orchestrated, whether we define this good or bad, but it was for the purpose of you coming to know Him. And when you come to know Him personally, that deep craving in your heart that asks the question, what am I doing here, is answered. Because He values me. Because He created me. Because He wants to be in relationship with me. That fills me in a way that no one else can. So now my relationships become about service and not about being a receiver. And that's the way God created us to operate in our families, at work, in our schools, that we would enter these circumstances as servants because we've already been fed by God. It's a freeing thing to know that you don't need someone else's value. God has created us to be with 
him. So in Jesus is the real, vibrant, spiritual life. In other words, that if I don't have Jesus, then I am walking around spiritually dead. Do you feel like the walking dead? That you're going through life, you're going through the, you know, the motions of life, doing all the different things that you have to accomplish in life, but inside you're dead. There is no joy and no satisfaction, but gloom and doom. Here it is in verse 4. Jesus says, in him, in Jesus, you can have that life. How? Receiving him. It's not something that's earned. It's not something you can buy. It's simply coming saying, you're worthy of my life, of my heart. I want you to give me the life that is truly life. Psalm 84, verses 1 through 12. For the choir director, a psalm of the descendants of Korah, to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! I long, yes, I faint with longing, to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home there, and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, how happy are those who can live in your house, always singing your praises! Happy are those who are strong in the Lord, who set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs, where pools of blessing collect after the rains. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. O Lord God Almighty, hear my prayer. Listen, O God of Israel. O God, look with favor upon the King, our Protector. Have mercy on the one you have anointed. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our light and protector. He gives us grace and glory. No good thing will the Lord withhold from those who do what is right. O Lord Almighty, happy are those who trust in you. Proverbs chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Those who are godly hate lies. The wicked come to shame and disgrace. Godliness helps people all through life, while the evil are destroyed by their wickedness.